Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. In this life, we interact with other people. Unless, of course, we become hermits and go to a cave somewhere. This interaction is limited. There are billions of people in the world. And how many do we actually interact with? How many people do we know that when we see their face, we recognize them? We've seen them before. We've actually uh, made a connection with them before. If there are two or three hundred that you can recognize from before, I would say that's probably a lot of people for most people. Now, how many people do you talk to on a regular basis? How many of these people that you recognize do you actually communicate with? I would say that that's probably even less. I think if we communicate with 50 people, that's probably a lot. If you go back through the last week and you think about how many people did I talk to? during the past week. Um, unless you uh, have a job where you're on a phone, uh, I don't think it would be that many. So the question is, our interactions are limited. Um, how do we make our, inter our interactions kind? How do we have empathy with the people we know. How do we get ourselves to the point where we feel what they feel? We're not asked to feel the entire world because we're not within reach of the entire world. But we are within reach of a small group of people. So can we make our experience with this small group of people, positive and worthwhile. There are personalities who can't do this. They can't have a decent relationship with anybody because that's not who they are. Their purpose is not to have decent relationships. Their purpose is to somehow one-up everybody that they run into and everybody around them. Their purpose is somehow to create discord and dissent. Now, think about that. And think about the people who do that. And I'm sure everybody knows somebody who does that. What is the driving force 
that makes them do that? And how can we bring ourselves to not be influenced by the force that brings that about? We have to see things in as positive that are helpful, not that are harmful. But many people see things as positive that are harmful, that don't help the situation. Um, there are people who are racist, and they somehow think that it's positive to be racist. And they've come up with an entire uh, agenda, an entire set of reasoning of why it's okay and why you should do it and how it protects you. Um, in my uh, years, I have found that people can rationalize anything. People can look at their own point of view and somehow make it into something worthwhile. People are very reluctant to take blame or to blame themselves for anything. How much introspection goes on in the world? How much introspection goes on in our lives? How much communal introspection goes on in various societies? Uh, one of the things that you'll find is that when a certain societal point of view that is abhorrent takes place, people become afraid not to accept that abhorrent point of view because they're afraid that that abhorrency will turn against them. So they accept what's within the society so that they can protect themselves. And you'll find that in societies where there is an abhorrent point of view going on, disdain is a normal way of life. There has to be somebody that is scapegoated. There has to be somebody that the society turns against in order to make that society more. Somehow, we need to become introspective and we need to turn away from these machinations of the world. Disdain is not a name of God. Rahman and Rahim are names of God. And when we have disdain in our system, we have to learn that not only is it directed outwardly, it's residing inwardly. And if it resides inwardly, it poisons us. We become poisoned by our attitudes towards others. Or we become enriched 
by our attitudes towards others. If we walk around loving others, having empathy towards others, then loving lives inside of us. Empathy lives inside of us. Empathy replaces disdain. And we somehow have to be able to accept other people and their ways. But most importantly, what we have to do is maintain a positive, loving, kind equilibrium inside of us that does not allow us to fall into anger, uh, into jealousy, into disdain, because it's like pouring bile into your system. And that bile will do something horrid to you. So we need to check ourselves regularly. What is the state of our loving kindness? What is the state of our disdain? Uh, what makes us fall into these various modes? And how do we maintain the mode that we're supposed to be in? And how do we recede from and escape the modes that somehow, sometimes overwhelm us that we're not supposed to be in? This has to be a regular practice. Because if it's not a regular practice, we will lose touch with who we are and the various ideas and emotions that we have. So one of the things that we need to do daily is check our own temperature, check our anger, check our disdain, check our empathy, check our kindness, check our love. And if this becomes... A regular practice, then, our language changes, the way we speak changes, our interactions with other people change, and our daily lives become different. Why? Because we have set limits on our behavior. We have set limits on the places that we allow our emotions to go. And when they go there, we have figured out ways to bring them back into the fold of that which is acceptable. And how do we know what's acceptable? By having a teacher who is kindness and who is loving and who has shown us the personification of what it's like to be love manifest. Now, the Christians talk about Jesus as love manifest. And Christians will often say, what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, not a bad idea to say that. Uh... Muhammad, to those who understand the truth of him, was also love manifest. And there are many, many, many stories of the kindness and the love that he projected and he gave. So how can we be like that? 
And then our own teacher. We saw love and kindness consistently come from that one spot. And we also saw that there wasn't a lot of gradation in who he was. He was there as a symbol and as an, an, and in action as love. And if you came into his presence, into his being, you could feel loved. And what's the purpose? Why did he show us this? So that we could love. So that we could also do that which he does. And we saw the influence that he had over people. People, when they were in his presence, became calmer. People who were in his presence became kinder. People who were in his presence felt like they were in a sanctuary, at least for the time that they were with him, because his love was strong enough to envelop others. His love was strong enough to influence others. His love was strong enough to change non-loving qualities and transform them into loving qualities. Now, how can we do that? Well, we do it through practice. We do it through gatherings where everybody in the room has made a point to be kind to each other. Where everybody in the room has made a decision that for the time they're together, there's going to be empathy. And there's going to be understanding. And there's going to be kindness. And there's going to be open-heartedness towards each other. We need to be, as often as possible, in those kinds of settings. And we need to stay from, stay away from, as often as possible, settings that aren't like that. And if we are involved in settings that aren't like that, we have to do what we can through our own effort and through our own kindness and through our own love to alter that setting. Now, that's not always possible. Uh, the, uh, the countervailing forces against love are as strong as the love forces. The entire world right now seems to be in a state of hate towards each other, which culminates in wars. And we certainly have enough wars and enough destruction. But the, the, the base meanness that's going on in parts of the world now is almost hard to imagine. People who are escaping from bombings with nothing are being shot by people who don't want to let them get out. This, this is the state of what's going on in existence right now. There is no empathy. Well, you know, our relationship with God is similar to our relationship with other people. If we have no empathy for God, God has no empathy for us. 
no matter how much you scream praise of God. It means nothing unless your actions reflect God. And the only actions that reflect God are his qualities. And if you are outside of his qualities, you don't reflect God. You reflect Satan. And this has to be acknowledged when the reflection of Satan is going on in the world. It doesn't matter what you label it. It is what it is. So we somehow have to understand the difference and we somehow have to put our side with that which is good. Um, as opposed to being part of whatever the prevailing and winning side of society is at the moment. Uh, Bawa tells a story about bats. And at one time the uh, animal kingdom and the bird kingdom were having a, uh, a war. And the birds were winning. So the bat hid two of its legs and showed its wings and said, I'm a bird, and joined the birds. And then the tide shifted and the animals were winning. And he flew towards the animal side and showed him his four legs and showed him his fur and said, I'm an animal. But then when the tide turned again and he went back to the birds, the birds said, no, you don't. You went from us to them. Stay with them. And essentially, he got to the point. It got to the point where neither side accepted the bat, and the bat had to live in caves hidden. Uh, we can't be like that. We can't switch sides because it somehow benefits us in our mind. God bless you. We, in our mind, should realize that our mind. <laughs> is connected to our nafs and will do what it thinks what it thinks is best for us and usually it doesn't have the wisdom to understand what's best for us why <clears throat> and this is critical to understanding our own progress and the progress of anyone who has entered into wisdom wisdom belongs to Allah and for us to be able to enter into wisdom, we have to enter into God's qualities. Because God's qualities exist as wisdom. And if we're not in God's qualities, it is impossible to have wisdom. It just can't be. Anger can't have wisdom. Jealousy can't have wisdom. Hastiness can't have wisdom. Murder doesn't have wisdom. Theft doesn't have wisdom. It can't. No matter how many books it writes, no matter what philosophies it sets forth, no matter how it explains things, it's a lie. The only wisdom happens when we are interwoven with God's qualities. Justice, Allah's justice, is wisdom. Allah's kindness is wisdom. Allah's love is wisdom. Allah's qualities 
our wisdom. So for us to be in wisdom, we have to be in God's qualities. And if we are outside of wisdom, then we're in the world. The connection to Allah doesn't happen until we enter the realm of wisdom. All of the previous realms are in the world of illusion. Wisdom surpasses illusion. Wisdom rises above illusion. And until we enter into wisdom, we can't rise above illusion. So for us to truly understand existence, we have to become wise. How do we become wise? Incorporate God's qualities into our being. And if we can't do that, we can't be wise, and we can't truly see existence, we can't truly understand existence, we can't truly know existence, and we certainly can't know the truth about ourselves. So, our options are limited. Either go towards Allah and find wisdom, or be ignorant. That's it. And, ignorance will not understand wisdom, no matter how often you explain it to ignorance. And why can't ignorance understand wisdom? Because ignorance doesn't have empathy for God's qualities. It doesn't feel for God's qualities, and it doesn't feel for other people. It doesn't have empathy. It doesn't see the pain of others. It is entwined within itself and its own machinations. So that's what ignorance is, and that's what ignorance does. Ignorance is very good at having disdain. Ignorance is very good at being arrogant. Ignorance is very good at telling people who are wise that they don't know anything. Why? Because ignorance can't understand what they know. So, when we run into people who are ignorant, we should also understand that they don't understand. And until a fundamental change happens in their being, they're not going to understand. So the question is, can you do something to make a fundamental change in their being? Sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. Um, too many people think they can when they can't, and they get in trouble. So you need to understand the level of your own wisdom before you tackle the level of ignorance in others. Very often the best solution is to walk away. Because the ignorance is so powerful in that person that they'll lash out at you and cause you distress. Same thing happens inside of each of us. As we try to enter into the levels of wisdom, the ignorance in us lashes out at us and will have disdain for this attempt to have wisdom. And it mostly comes from our own minds. And it comes from trying to protect our own self-interests. Because as you move towards empathy, you move away from self-motive 
and self-interest. And the lower part of ourselves is only interested in self-motive and self-interest. So, if you want to be wise, you have to give up the self. If you want to have wisdom, you have to give up self-importance. If you want to have wisdom, you have to disappear from the egocentric nature of our being. That has to be killed off. And since we've lived most of our life in that egocentric nature, it's very hard to kill it off because it has created a lot of defenses and it's created uh, an entire methodology of dealing with everything, sloughing off everything that's different than it is. So, in our consciousness, we have different competitive forces trying to be the forefront of the way we think. We have those parts of us that are constantly telling us to take care of ourselves, and we have those parts of us constantly telling us that we need to become more godlike and be able to have empathy towards all creation. Why are saints saints? Because people recognize that people who give up of their own needs for others have accomplished something special in this world. So they give them a title. They're a saint. They don't act for themselves. They act for others. We lived with a man, Baal Mohayadeen, who lived for others. His existence here was not for himself. He came to bring Allah to the understanding of people and to bring Allah's qualities into the understanding of people. He came to transform man from living in illusion to living in reality, to living from living with the qualities of the world to living with the qualities of God. And in this transformation, the work that he was trying to do became accomplished. So it was through action that change occurred. It's through empathy for others that change occurs. If we can't love other people, we can't enter into Allah's qualities. If we can't abide other people, we can't enter into God's qualities. If we can't disappear into other people, we can't get closer and closer to Allah. The more we can disappear, the closer we become to God. So, this practice of disappearing is a core practice of Sufism. I do not exist, only God exists. I do not exist, only God exists. I do not exist, only God exists. And in that existence, we reach the true glory of who we are. The treasure 
of being godlike is greater than any treasure that illusion has to offer. But, in order to gain that treasure, we have to give up the treasures that illusion offers. And unless we believe that that treasure is greater than the treasure illusion offers, we're not going to switch. We're not going to make the change. And that's why a teacher like Baba is sent into the midst. No matter how much you read, no matter how much you talk about it, no matter how much you interact with normal people, you can't see what an enlightened being can show you just by sitting in front of you. And the love that pours forth from him is so overwhelming that you begin to understand how serene and powerful and overwhelming it is for your being. How all the holes that we've been trying to fill with the treasures of illusion in our being that we find can't be filled are filled from a kind word from somebody who loves us. Why is a mother's love so important for a baby? Because that's all the baby wants and needs. Well, we're all babies. And we still want that love. And we still need that love. And the question is, can we supply that love that's needed to somebody? Can we hand out that love? Are we big enough to give love without expecting some kind of a reciprocal act. Can we do that? That's the question for today. Can we do that? And how long can we sustain and maintain that? May God allow us to be able to give love. May God allow us to be able to see His love. There is an endless cornucopia of love that comes from Allah. Let it rest in our hearts and let us be the ones who are allowed to disseminate that love to others. Let, let Allah use us to give himself to the world. Amin, amin. Ya Rabbi Lala. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.